It's Thursday, October 12th. I'm Priyanka Arabindi. And I'm Juanita Tolliver, and this is What A Day. On today's show, House Majority Leader Steve Scalise won his party's nomination to become House Speaker. Plus, early voting is underway in Ohio for a special election on reproductive rights. But first, let's begin with an update on the tragic human toll from the intensifying war between Hamas and Israel. As of our recording time at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, the BBC reports that 1,200 people have been killed in Israel, including 22 Americans, and 1,100 people have been killed in Gaza. In the wake of the violence, Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu formed an emergency unity government yesterday with his chief political rival, former Defense Minister Benny Gantz. This power-sharing agreement adds two opposition lawmakers, both of whom are former army chiefs, to Netanyahu's cabinet. And according to the agreement's terms, they will make decisions regarding the war and security in Israel as this conflict continues. Following the formation of this government, Netanyahu gave a televised address with Gantz on Wednesday night, presenting a unified front and pledging to crush Hamas. So this war cabinet formed as troops in Israel continue to gather in the south, and it's looking more and more likely that a ground invasion of Gaza is expected to happen any day now, right? Right. As of our recording time, that has not yet happened, but it is still expected. The details are undoubtedly something that this new wartime cabinet has weighed in on at this point. Meanwhile, as we mentioned on the show yesterday, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken headed to Israel yesterday in a show of solidarity. As he's there, he'll be attempting to do a number of things, including working with allies to try and secure the release of the estimated 150 hostages in Gaza, as well as discussing additional military support for Israel, the humanitarian challenges related to civilians in Gaza. And of course, he will be working to prevent a wider conflict from emerging in the region, which is something that President Biden warned Iran against yesterday as well, while urging Netanyahu and Israel to abide by the rules of war. Here at home, Biden had an emotional meeting yesterday with Jewish community leaders in Washington, D.C., where he expressed his sorrow over what he called a, quote, campaign of pure cruelty launched by Hamas. Yeah, the Biden administration is fully supportive of Israel right now. And as Secretary Blinken meets with senior Israeli officials, there have been repeated calls from Israeli citizens for Hamas to release the elderly and the children they are holding hostage first. There are also concerns about the hostages' well-being as the blockade to Gaza has cut off food, fuel, security, and water, and Hamas is threatening to execute hostages as the Israeli airstrikes continue in Gaza. Yeah, it is a really horrific situation with the hostages. Have there been any updates on the Americans that are among that group? Sadly, there aren't any updates yet. And as National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby told CNN yesterday, quote, This isn't like any other typical hostage situation. This is an active war zone. He also added, quote, getting granular information that you can act on is going to be that much harder and the risks will be that much higher for any attempt to recover them. Right. And with this extremely limited information, it's also been easy for misinformation to spread widely since the Hamas attack last Saturday. Misinformation has been flooding social media and every day clips and documents are being debunked and identified as video game footage or years old footage from conflicts in other parts of the world. There was even the fake memo claiming President Biden announced $8 billion in military aid for Israel. And I'll give you one guess where a lot of this bad information is making the rounds unchecked. 
Yeah, I don't even need one guest to know where this is proliferating. Uh, 100% Twitter.com or X, as we're forced to call it now. And things are so bad that European Commissioner Tahiri Breton sent a letter to Elon Musk calling on him to remove misinformation and giving Musk 24 hours to respond. Twitter aside, we had a chance to speak with someone who's experiencing the war firsthand from Israel. Itamar Karvi is a PhD student studying climate change and a peace activist who lives in Tel Aviv. We started by asking what it was like for him and his family Saturday morning when the first rockets hit his city. I was hoping that maybe I'm dreaming or mm. a bad dream, but my wife woke me up and we went down the staircase. We heard the explosion and we thought that that will be it like previous times, um, but it wasn't. There were news about invasions to the nearby villages, about gunshots. And at some point, I guess it was the rumors about people getting kidnapped, people getting killed. Israel is a small country. It feels like kind of everyone knows everyone. So you run through your mind, who do you know that lives that close to the border? Right. And I was relieved to remember that my family from the border, they, they were in France. Mm. My uncle is French, but my wife found out that her cousins are there. A lot of my attention went to get updates from them when they had the reception. It's uh, strange to talk about it because at no point did I let into the option that something bad will happen to them. Mm. I just kind of knew that it will be okay because it must be okay. That's the only option that I see when, when I'm trying to be optimistic in these moments. And at the end of the day, we heard that they were evacuated to a nearby location in the kibbutz. And we heard that many other people from that kibbutz didn't survive that day. They were killed, they were murdered. And later we found out that many were kidnapped. And I was, again, chose to be relieved at that point, but it was only 24 hours later or even more that they were finally evacuated from that region. And today we finally, I think, did a big move. And till now we were going between Tel Aviv and my wife's grandparents. We moved to my wife's parents' place finally after many days in the center of Israel. Now we are went up north and we took our cat, which is not really happy to leave the house. Can I ask you about that journey as you all were driving north? You said you left Tel Aviv, you're with your wife's family further north in the region. Can you describe the contrast of your experience in Tel Aviv versus where you are now further north and what you were seeing and experiencing as you were making that drive north? I was surprised to see many more cars than I expected because the roads were empty till today. It felt like people are kind of leaving Tel Aviv, you know, people okay. are kind of sick of, of being in the rocket zone and, and they're trying to get to safer spot. Mm-hmm. And arriving here, it doesn't feel much different being here, really. Okay. Unlike Tel Aviv, you hear a lot of Israeli fighter airplanes. So there's constant noise. Israel is too small to be in a place where you feel like you ran away. Right. It sounds like a very scary and uncertain Time, But in the piece that you recently wrote for the LA Times, you described yourself as a peace activist. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that and how that's been a part of your life? I think that it changes between different periods in my life. I think the times where being a peace activist meant the most to me was 
when I did my undergrad living in Jerusalem. In Tel Aviv, you can live a very peaceful life as an Israeli for most of the year. In Jerusalem, it doesn't feel this way. In Jerusalem, you see with your eyes every day uh, the conflict. You see every day the Israeli occupation. And when I lived there, I was unable to choose to live a peaceful life, which you are able to do in some neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And there, I think I was involved mainly with a movement that I believe in, and I'm a member in, it's called Standing Together. It's a grassroots movement of Jewish and Palestinian citizens in Israel that try to promote peace and, and equality uh, in this country. These are very difficult moments to be a leftist, and these are very difficult moments to be a peace activist or a humanist at, because the notion that Israelis try to promote, which is quite a legitimate one, is that they would ask, what a country would tolerate rockets being shot at it, you know, like you live your life and you need to run to the shelter, like what country will tolerate that? And the story is uh, more complicated than that because people in Gaza uh, don't live the, the life they deserve to live. And it's more complicated than that because there are moments in these operations where as a person reading the news, it feels like, we are able and we should do better to not hurt innocent people. On Saturday, Israel deserved all empathy people could give it, and today too. And it doesn't contradict the fact that Palestinians should get any amount of empathy a person can give. I really want to just emphasize how much I appreciate you talking through the humanist side of this and the empathy for the innocent civilians, both Israeli and Palestinians, who are losing their lives every day with each of these strikes, who were harmed and killed in the attacks. And thinking ahead, knowing the Israeli government's intentions to mobilize on the ground in Gaza, I'm curious, what's your message, I guess, to other peace activists, Israeli or peace activists across the globe who are watching this with civilians in mind and the potential impact this could have for them? What's kind of your message to them? Um, I really don't know. Um, I feel that the most crucial point right now, for me at least as, as an Israeli, is, and I feel that to a large extent my government, which is, I'm very unfortunate, to have this government, uh, but trying to think of how to answer your question, I do believe that freeing the kidnapped Israelis and doing some kind of hostage exchange is a good step to de-escalate. You said that in the past maybe day or two, you have seen more people than you were before, before you were you know, at home not seeing anybody. I'm curious what the sentiments you're hearing from other people that, you know, your friends or, or people you're interacting with, how are they feeling? I imagine not everyone feels the same as you. Maybe a lot of people do. I'm just so curious about, you know, what you're hearing from them. I'm meeting friends mainly, and I'm lucky to have very sensitive and, I don't know, intelligent friends. And, and they I feel, many of them feel similarly. They, they are hurt, but I think most of us are just trying to find ways to be active and to support other people in need. 
<laughs> my wife cooked for an elder woman in Tel Aviv and I asked her, like, how is it related to, you know, to this war? And she was like, I'm not sure if it's related, you know, just people are, are trying to do something to feel like they're contributing. Yeah. When I hear that the ministers of, of my government say the craziest things, I'm, I get scared. Like we had the worst government that we've ever had. And now we are in the moment where, I don't know, I guess one of the toughest moments Israel has ever faced. And it feels horrible. It feels like we're in the worst hands. That was our conversation with Itamar Karvi, a peace activist and PhD student from Tel Aviv. And we are so grateful that he was able to speak with us and share more about the difficulties he's personally confronting as we understand the human toll of this war. Yeah, it was a really moving, hard conversation to hear, you know, the suffering and the feelings there. And of course, we hope for Itamar's safety. We hope for the safety of the so many innocent people in Israel and in Gaza right now who are living with so much uncertainty and so much fear. Fear, tragedy, heartbreak, every bit of it. And the fact that he took time to talk to us was really big and we're so grateful. Of course, we'll continue to follow this story, but that's the latest for now. We'll be back after some ads. What a Day is brought to you by Viore. Viore's performance wear clothes are designed to look great no matter what you're doing, both in and out of the gym. And they might be the most comfortable pants I've ever worn in my life. Buttery soft, yes. So soft. Yes. I have on one of their cropped sweaters, and it's a staple now. I don't think I'll be taking it off until next week. But don't judge me. (laughs) I won't judge you. And don't judge me for not working out, but wearing comfortable workout clothes. That is, I feel like, required. That's part of the beauty of Viore. On the couch, in the gym, it still works. I look like I work out (laughs) and like I dress cute when I work out. But in fact, I don't do either. And this is just me dressing normally. And comfortably. That's the flex, though, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. So for our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash wad. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash wad. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash wad and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. We're big fans of therapy on here, on the show. We absolutely are. Yeah. We absolutely are because, listen, you're going to need it, okay, to mm-hmm. get through this year ahead of us. And so why not check out BetterHelp to give you the the necessary coping tools, you know what I mean, just to be able to keep on keeping on, mm-hmm. all right? Mm-hmm. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash WAD today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash WAD. What a Day is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. and offers their 30-day alive and thrive guarantee, along with free plant consultation forever. Okay, so this weekend we started planting in our backyard. Mm -hmm. And we're doing some wildflowers. 
we're also doing some trees we bought from Fast Growing Trees. I would love to tell you what kind of trees they are, but I have already forgotten as soon as I bought them. However, they look great, and I'm very excited to have a backyard that makes it look like I know what I'm doing. Listen, I love fast growing trees because these plants that I have now bought over the last couple years of them supporting this show, I would like to report they are still alive. Okay, and so I officially have a green thumb. You thanks do. Thanks to fast growing trees. That is very impressive. <laughs> to keep them alive that long is very, very impressive. Right now, Fast Growing Trees, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code WAD at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code WAD at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com code WAD. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Let's wrap up with some headlines. Headlines. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise has been nominated by his fellow Republicans to take the absolute worst job in Washington. He narrowly beat out his Trump-backed rival Jim Jordan during yesterday's closed-door nomination contest to replace Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker. But the Louisiana representative doesn't have the gavel just yet. He now needs to win a vote from the full House of Representatives. And knowing how the GOP operates these days, that could be a very tall order. That is because in the initial rounds of the nomination process, some Republicans insisted on voting Kevin McCarthy back in as Speaker. Excuse me, we've done this before. Not once, not twice. Like, what, 15 times, probably? Insert massive eye roll. Yeah. And there are still a handful of Republicans who say they won't support Scalise in the floor vote, including South Carolina Representative Nancy Mace. She told The Washington Post that it is because Scalise spoke at a white supremacist gathering over 20 years ago when he was still a state representative, something that no one should let him or anyone else forget because that is crazy. Yeah, I'm truly looking at that entire GOP conference like, hmm, how many other people there are going to be disqualified for aligning themselves with white supremacists? Go figure. Falling like dominoes, truly. That controversy came up over a decade ago when Scalise became the House Majority Whip. At the time, he acknowledged that he was at the event, but he claimed that he didn't know about the group's ideology. Just find that a little difficult to believe. In any event, it is not clear when the full House will take up the vote to confirm Scalise as Speaker, but here is what he had to say yesterday. It's really, really important that this Congress get back to work. We select a Speaker, go to the House floor, get to 218 and then get the house working again. And the first order of business under Speaker Steve Scalise is going to bring a strong resolution expressing support for Israel. Getting to 218. Listen, there's that. And I hate that he said under Speaker Steve Scalise, like talking about himself in the third person, that's just immediate now, immediate ick. And staying in D.C., the saga of Joanne the Scammer continues as a group of House Republicans introduced legislation yesterday to expel New York Representative George Santos from Congress. It was announced by Representative Anthony Deesposito and co-signed by five other freshman New York Republicans. Deesposito called Santos a quote-unquote stain on the chamber and the state they represent. This all comes just a day after federal prosecutors issued a new 23-count indictment against Santos, formally charging Santos with fraud, identity theft, and more. He pleaded not guilty to an earlier set of charges back in May. 
House Democrats tried to expel Santos around that same time, but Republicans instead voted to refer the issue to the chamber's ethics committee, which has been investigating Santos since March. Expelling a member of Congress requires a two-thirds majority vote from the entire chamber to succeed, and I've got a hunch this will get done a lot easier than the House Speaker vote will. Yeah, I mean, if there can't be consensus on this, I'm sorry, there really is no hope for us at all. None. And if you are registered to vote in Ohio, make a note to get to the polls between now and the first week of November. That is because early in-person voting kicked off yesterday in the Buckeye State. Ohioans will vote on a ballot measure known as Issue 1, which, if passed, would protect the right to an abortion in the state's constitution. We've told you about this measure before and how earlier this summer, voters overwhelmingly shot down an attempt by Republicans to make it harder to pass constitutional amendments like this one in the first place. So let's keep our winning streak for reproductive access going. We will drop a link in our show notes from our friends at Vote Save America with more information on early and mail-in voting in Ohio. If you are from Ohio, get yourself to the polls because this is important. Go vote, people. Go vote. And finally, another election story we can get behind. Fat Bear Week is officially over and the results are in. Bear number 128, a.k.a. Grazer, a.k.a. Priyanka's pick, a.k.a. the baddest bish, has won. My girl. For any of you who are late to the party, Fat Bear Week is the annual competition held by the National Park Service where the entire country is invited to weigh in on which Alaskan bear can pack on the most weight before going into hibernation. The bracket was tight as 11 bears competed for the crown this year and Grazer beat out her competitors one by one and ultimately went face to face in the final round against Bear 32 also known as Chunk. Chunk is described as a quote mountain of a male with a quote prominent posterior. (laughs) (laughs) But Grazer emerged victorious after demonstrating her superior ability to pack on the pounds by eating copious amounts of salmon. According to park rangers, larger male bears tend to avoid Grazer because she's a, quote, particularly defensive mother that regularly attacks male bears in order to protect her cubs. Yes, she does. Stand your ground, sis. Do what you got to do. And the National Park Service said, quote, Bear 128's combination of skill and toughness makes her one of the most formidable, successful, and adaptable bears who is well-prepared for winter. So, Priyanka, go ahead. Take your victory lap, friend. You know, this feels like a real victory, even though I contributed absolutely nothing to this. You gave moral support. Moral support, support through this platform. But I will say, this does feel like a victory for all of us, in a way. Like, these attributes... That made this bear successful, being a defensive mother. These are the things that I like read when the other bears are scared of her because she is tough and will get in their face and will defend her cubs. I was like, yeah, this is the making of a champion here. And the judges in this, well, I guess the judges all us voting. The electorate in this election was like, you know what? These are the things that matter to us too. For too long, these traits have been ignored and we deserve to see them shine. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful win. Shout out. Shout out Grazer. Shout out to Grazer. Shout out to lucky number 128. We'll see her again next year. That's my girl. All the way, every year. And those are the headlines. 
One more thing before we go, fall is upon us and with it, the official start of spooky season. If the thought of celebrating with a scary movie night secretly puts you off your candy corn, Ruined is the podcast for you. Hosted by horror aficionado and love it or leave it head writer Hallie Kiefer and her squeamish friend and co-host Allison Leiby, Ruined unpacks a different horror movie every week. And for those of you like Allison who are too scared to watch yourselves, Fear not, Hallie will ruin the movie for you. Let Ruined help you survive spooky season with your dignity intact. Listen each week wherever you get your podcasts. That is all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends to listen. And if you're into reading, What a Day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at cricket.com slash subscribe. I'm Juanita Tolliver. And I'm Priyanka Arabindi. What a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Our show's producer is Itzi Quintanilla. Raven Yamamoto and Natalie Bettendorf are our associate producers. And our senior producer is Lita Martinez. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.